Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. We're recording an episode on Skysworn today. That's book four of the Cradle series. Book four, the whole book. Uh, before we get into that, as usual, we're gonna we're gonna cover some some comments from our last episode and and things that may have come up in in the series so far. Yeah, we so, got a, Dan. We, go ahead. We got a lot of comments. We're loving it. First, we need to go back to a comment that was on our our first episode that we got from Reddit user Mazork. And the theory in question is my theory about Elder Whisper being Osriel. Oh, Elder Whisper is Osriel. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, so my theory rested a lot on the fact that Elder Whisper could see the future. And only the people who were like Surreal could see the future, it seemed, from what we had seen so far in the story. Mazork pointed out uh, very astutely that there are fate readers in this world, in other places. And this book is where we get the first instance of people who can see the future who are definitely not Osriel. So... Maybe Elder Whisper is an Osriel. So we're taking a plank out of your Elder Whisper theory. Potentially. I will say this, though. Elder Whisper's got to be great at hide and seek. <laughs> so, and that's, that's essentially what Osriel's doing. So. Ooh. Take away a plank, add a plank. Add a plank, there we go. I'm going to say. I'm going to say add a plank. Uh, so, uh, Mazork, thanks for the comment. Uh, great observation. We are... We also have to talk about Ara and Madra in this mm-hmm. episode. Because I'll be the first to say it. I don't think Luke and I did a great job last episode talking about having the distinction between the two. Because they are different things for sure. Okay. So to to clarify, Ara comes from like things in reality. Like things in the world give off aura and madra is inside people and so your madra is like your internal like power source and you can convert aura to madra um but they're they're separate things these two things are different um uh while we're while we're differentiating a few things we'll we'll come back to the aura and madra discussion because it was a long one uh the Aurelius, Aurelius, Aurelius uh, family, they have a bloodline ability. So there's a difference between being in a clan versus in a family versus having a bloodline ability versus having a path. Those are all different things, right? So Lyndon has been accepted into the Aurelius like clan, but he doesn't have their bloodline ability which is the ability to like see everything that's all around. And he also is not on a specific path that is related to the Aurelius clan. And there's no, there's not necessarily even a path that's an Aurelius path that we found yet. We've just seen a bloodline ability right now. It's kind of like the Aurelius family is a, is a company. Like they have just like employees, right? The Aurelius clan. Yes. Yes. The Aurelius clan 
is like a company uh that they just have a bunch of employees right um but if you're like a bloodline family member then you have this ability but it's not your path it's just a separate ability okay so i think i think we've cleared up a lot of those misconceptions let's talk about our madra okay a lot of back and forth about what Ara is, which right. I really liked. And I think from that discussion, which uh, shouts out to uh, Loner Actual uh, for starting that discussion um, and also for Funky Credo. Uh, those are like, I think the two main comments on that, on that discussion about Ara and Madra. And Luke, I think we might have tried to get a little bit too general with our discussion last mm-hmm. episode. Like we tried to break down Ara too much almost. Right. Cause it seems like so we we were talking about Ara in a in a way that like I think I mentioned there's or my my thought was that there were like primary auras and you could combine those to get secondary auras. Uh now I, from what I understand, that's not the case. And there's, there's tons of, there's tons of different auras and you can do, you can do those kind of combinations to get Madra. Right. So you can have Black Flame Madra that is from cycling fire and destruction aura, right? And so your Madra is like a mix of the two, but out there in like the world necessarily, there isn't like black flame aura. However, I do think that there there are mixings of aura because Loner Actual also commented with a post from the Abadan archive that was Will was talking about uh, a computer. And so if you built a computer, it would start collecting aura around it, right? A distinct kind of aura around it. And you could like break down that aura into its components, like maybe storm aura and uh, I don't know, like earth aura, whatever the like metal component aura would be. You could essentially break it down into like its its basis auras, but that object would still collect like uh, an assortment of aura around it. And so right. you, you might say something is like sword aura. Right. But you still would be referring to force aura. In fact, Will in this book mentions that sword aura is a particular aspect of force aura. Right. Right. Do I mean, so to a certain extent, this is just semantics. Right. Like when when we say one kind of aura that's that's kind of general, like computer aura, which is which was the example uh, that was talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't he didn't necessarily say there was computer aura, but that a computer would collect like certain right. a certain combination of aura. But but, I, but you might call that computer aura. So it's just it, it's it's kind of just a name. Yeah. But you right. can break. It's like it's like you can. My my analogy is the different types of aura are elements. Mm, mm-hmm. And you can combine those into like compounds that are that have names right 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 right, exactly i 
That's interesting you chose elements. Uh, when I was thinking about this, they talked a lot about cloud aura in this book. And I, I think of cloud aura as a great example of like, it's definitely a combination of water aura and air or wind aura, right? But I think they're, they might just be using a short name for it and calling mm-hmm. it cloud aura. And then this is kind of how I think about auras in this universe is kind of like the universe is, is constantly vaping, right? This is what this is what Lyndon sees when he opens his copper site is he sees vape coming off everything. And, you know, there's like standard flavors of vape. You know, you've got mint, you've got green apple. And when you when you take in the vape, that's when you taste it. Right. And you tasting it is creating madra out of it. It's creating the energy that we get from our good, good vape juice. Right. <laughs> And you can combine vapes in any magical combination you would want. But at the end of the day, there's like certain base flavors of vape. And that's Aura. I, I, don't, know if you, I don't know if you realize how often you bring up vape, which is weird considering you very much do not vape. No, I do but, not vape. I'm not a vapor. But I'm working but, for vapor's rights. We got to. Someone's got to. Uh, Loner Actual also mentioned that the Jai clan does provide a valuable service to the Empire because martial skill is so important in this universe. I'm going to say this actually supports what Luke and I were talking about last episode because they are supposed to provide a martial service and the whole point of them existing is their underlord is able to have this is like powerful is able to wield this power and and protect his territory but he wicked can't because ethan demolishes him Mm -hmm. so they're not even they're not even useful in that regard like i in comparison in comparison to the aurelius clan yeah they're not they're not better because Ethan destroys them, right? So the, I think I, I think the the debate between Jai versus Jai Clan versus Aurelius Clan is like the combat abilities between um, the the two patriarchs, and and then the the combat abilities of everyone below them almost seems negligible, right? But then the the Aurelius clan also has the huge task of like keeping all of the cities functional, basically. So right. it's and and I think at this point, before the big fight, when when the when they were kind of having this back and forth, Ethan was technically ranked eleventh, and uh, the Jai patriarch was seventh. So it's kind of like number seven versus number 11 plus all of the um the benefits that the aurelius clan provides which i'm gonna say is to the aurelius clan's victory it's gotta be it's gotta be because they can not only fight but they also have this other job that the jai clan doesn't have that's so important yeah so i still think the jai clan sucks (laughs) <laughs> they um, definitely do now yeah oh for sure they're garbage now they're gone jai clan's over rest in peace 
Jai Clan. Jai Clan has been canceled. <laughs> For sure. We did it. Uh, another quick point uh, that Tord and EQ. Oh, nope. Yeah. Tord and EQ and Loner Actual mentioned my miners theory again. And they mentioned how. I think one of the comments was about how you wouldn't help somebody advance uh, if they were just going to put a sword in your back. And and the whole point of them putting the miners into there was to get as many scales as possible and that the the kind of offshoot of this Jai clan wasn't even related to the original Jai clan. They're just where they send their exiles out into the desolate wilds. I'm going to say two things to this. The first, the Jai clan only exists because the patriarch is an underlord. So none of their efforts matter if the underlord doesn't exist anymore. And the biggest threat right now is that the underlord is going to die. So it doesn't matter if they're a bajillionaire in these scales. If they lose the underlord, it's all over anyway. And we see in this book how desperate the underlord is to keep an underlord in the family. And in fact, at the end of the last book, at the end of uh, Black Flame, he does give his enemy this power. He just binds him with an oath, right? Jai Long has been killing Jai clan members for all of Black Flame. And the patriarch still says he's going to level him up to Underlord. So I'm still not, I, I still haven't come off of my miners theory yet. Based on those two comments I got, I'm not convinced. You haven't okay, convinced you're, me. You're, you're sticking to that theory. Good. I, I think you, I think you should. No, it's no, it's good. We yeah, saw no, the desperation. Totally the desperation, <laughs> Luke. This theory is something that's ridiculous, but like impossible to disprove. <laughs> uh, I'm waiting. Somebody, I'd love to see the. I'd love to see the evidence that I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> I, I haven't been convinced yet. Honestly, convince me. Okay. If you think I'm wrong, convince me. Okay. Okay. Last. Luke, we were pretty hype at the end of last episode. We were pretty hype. We had a great theory. We got we got a few comments on the on the Reddit mm-hmm. post about our theory. Mm-hmm. That's the Jai Chen theory. Right. I'll say this. The first comment I read about the Jai Chen theory and us being wrong and Jai Chen being Lyndon's future wife. I was for sure convinced. There wasn't even that, there wasn't even good evidence, but I read that comment and I was like, "Oh wait, that's probably right." Damn. Damn. Same. Uh, just just to shout out everybody who who threw that at us: Tordan EQ, Kai Dynamite, Funky Kratos. Okay, we hear we saw your we saw your comments. Okay, you think Jai Chen was going to be the person Lyndon married if he didn't go off on his grand adventure? Sounds convincing, right? It does. Sounds convincing. Uh, Jai Chen was like, it sounds like destined to come to the Sacred Valley. It sounds like she was destined to have some kind of relationship with Lyndon. That all sounds pretty good. There's a problem though, guys. There's a big problem we need you to address. If Lyndon never goes on his grand journey, who's healing Jai Chen? Who, who's solving that problem for Jai Chen? Because Lyndon sees his wife in the vision that Serial shows him. And I, w- I went back and reread it. 
there's two explicit scenes with Lyndon and his wife. One, they're sitting on the edge of a roof drinking something. Okay. The other one, they're standing at like an altar getting married, holding hands. Jai Chen can't get out of bed or hold a knife. So either Lyndon carried her up onto a roof and set her down next to him while still a copper, mind you, because he hasn't progressed to iron at that point. And then is also like holding her up at the altar as they're standing there getting married. Because there's no way she's able to like stand for very long and at least do it in a way that's convincing. Or right. she gets healed somehow. Right. I think the, the assumption is that she gets healed, I think. Okay. Where? Okay. Okay. Let, let, okay. Let me ba- let me back up for a second. Let me back up. I'm gonna say that the 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 idea that Jai Chen is the future wife that Suriel shows him, I think, is probably more likely than our theory. Okay. Uh, I, okay. I, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 But I'm not convinced. But, though. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not abandoning our theory. So this because, because the the uh, the Jaichen is Lyndon's future wife theory doesn't have like overwhelming evidence. Right. Well, she's also we should say his not future wife theory because it's no longer his future anymore. So she's right. his not future wife. Okay. Right. <laughs> um. But there's not the, overwhelming evidence. Yeah, I th- I think that you could maybe you could probably say that it it, it feels more right, more right with the story. I think that's fair to say. Um, I'm gonna stick with our theory because I think that there's while there's less likelihood that it's right, I think that there's a similar amount of evidence. Um, and it's more it's more fun for me. I think so. I'm keeping that one. Keeping that one. Uh, someone mentioned that Lyndon's mom is just from the Kazan clan. And that's, I think, partially true. I, I found a, a quote from Will on the Abedan archive where someone asked the question, basically, that is she related to Kazan clan by blood? And Will says, quote, she is descended from another clan from an outside clan. She is a Way clan member, but at a certain point in her ancestry, her father or great-grandfather was from the Kazan clan. So, is she related to the Kazan clan? Looks like yes, but she's also descended from an outside clan, meaning clan from outside the Sacred Valley, is how I'm reading that. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that there's I think that there's enough evidence for our theory to compete. Yeah. When I heard the Jai Chen is his not future wife theory, it gave me it gave me 40% confidence. Right? My gut feeling gave it gave it up to 40%. Okay. So so we're talking 60-40 with our two theories now. Where I'm 60% on the I think it's his mom. <laughs> okay, I think I I think I'm at the position where if I were to bet, I would be betting on the not future wife theory, but in my but in my heart, I know that Lyndon and Jai Chin and, and Jai Long are related. They've got that's to that's where that's where I'm standing. And we could we could do this like I could debate with someone face to face, and we would probably not convince each other. 
<laughs> it's very open-minded of you, Luke. It's very yeah, honest. Very, very honest. Yeah. But, um, okay. Last thing, last thing I want to say about this and then we're moving on. If she gets healed, let's say you think Jai Chen gets healed. Okay. Where is she getting healed in the Sacred Valley? They're like all coppers and the highest person is a jade. Jai Chen, how are you getting healed in the Sacred Valley? I'll, I'll say I'm assuming that the, the, she's getting healed before they get to the Sacred Valley. That's, I'm going to need you to, people who think Jai Chen is Lyndon's not future wife, explain this for us, please. Explain this for us. Write us a comment. Tell us the explanation for either one, how Jai Chen is still not healed and Lyndon doesn't immediately remember it from his vision of his wife that, oh, she's like, looks like she's got a problem with her madra. And Jai Chen has the same problem with her madra. So it doesn't immediately recognize that it's the same person. Or two, how does she get healed? Because one of those two things has to be true. We're, we're going to get so many angry comments about this. <laughs> I'll take them. I'll take them, Luke. Okay, let's talk about Skysworn. So the first thing that we see with Skysworn is a couple scenes of the Jai Patriarch finding ways to murder Ethan. And it's basically just a series of these crazy things that he goes to. And then at the end, we figure out that Ethan has done something amazing or is like super impressive. I just think that these these scenes that are essentially just there to make Ethan look so badass must have been so much fun to write because they were very fun for me to read. Yeah, yeah. This is an incredible sequence. And yeah. I think I don't know. I I I love seeing a good a, a good building up of a character. Yeah. Just to make them seem badass. That's what I like I like reading those. It makes Ethan seem incredible. I think it also does a fair amount of world building as well. Mhm. Because it it makes, you know, it makes it seem like there's a lot of other stuff going on that we don't even we don't even get a hint of in the main story. Like this path of the last breath sounds very interesting. Give me a <laughs> short story about somebody on the path of the last breath. That sounds fascinating. Or the this like flock of death. What are they doing the rest of the time? Mm-hmm. What's their what's their gig? This had a, this had a the the flock one had a very good like boss fight vibe to me. Very Dark Souls kind of deal. Very Dark Souls. Cutscene, you're walking up, yeah. Perfect bite, perfect boss fight scene. Definitely. So, so I feel like it did a, it did a good amount of world building too, and the like the great ape that he tried to tried to get to help him out. What what was the deal with that? And and where where is the where's the ape now? Where is the ape now? Where did Ethan put that big ape? Do we see a future training for Linden? Hmm? Maybe. Ooh. Okay. It's got potential. <laughs> I also love that scene. Um, a question I have for you, Luke, is the end of that sequence, the patriarch of the Jai clan breaks into the labyrinth and steals the archstone. Before he does that, 
he's going through a bunch of drawers that are all empty. Where'd all that stuff go? Was that was that Ethan too? I my read on it is that this is one of the storerooms that the people or I guess the dragons actually. Yeah. That originally found this kind of ransacked it. Okay. It's it's weird to me that they left the archstone, but my take on it is that those are weapons or or whatever that were taken long, long ago. Okay. And are probably just out in the world by now or or destroyed. I don't know. Okay. Okay. I see. I see. So, so yeah, you think, and I, we do get near, that near the end, but before we got that, I was kind of thinking like, did Ethan, did Ethan sneak in here too? <laughs> and just grab a bunch of stuff? That would be, I mean, that'd be cool. It would but be I, cool. I don't, th- I don't think that's the case. I also don't think that's the case. Because uh, we also see, I don't know about this level because they think the Artstone actually is super powerful, but that a lot of these treasures at like Ethan's level don't really matter. Like I think the, for example, the the Ancestor Spear that we know was originally in the Labyrinth, it, I'm going to say it's probably a little less valuable than the Archstone, let's say. Yeah. I think that's true. But it, it seems as though that doesn't that spear doesn't mean anything to Ethan or people at Ethan's level or above. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's not an underlord class weapon maybe. Right. Or like or I don't think it I don't think it benefits underlords in the same way that it would right. benefit someone at a gold stage. Right. Right. Okay. So maybe you're saying maybe the archstone was left behind because it was too weak for the people who are pillaging. Uh, that's just, uh, that was just kind of a separate point okay. that I don't think that if you ransack this, you're getting. Well, maybe for the Black Flame Empire, that's super good. Mm-hmm. But from the outer world perspective, where people are like even more powerful than the Black Flame Empire, I don't think that those weapons are actually that significant. Mm-hmm. Unless maybe we see further into the labyrinth that we haven't gone yet. Luke, speaking of further into the labyrinth, I've got a theory about these labyrinths. Okay. Because we learn that the labyrinths are spread out kind of throughout the Black Flame Empire. There's entrances throughout the Black Flame Empire. And inside this labyrinth, there's all this treasure. There's this great stuff that will help you level up. But if you stay in the labyrinth too long, then you wake these terrible, terrible dread gods who destroy everything and who are super powerful, right? And so there's this like incentive to go into the labyrinth, but it's balanced with this risk of destruction, this risk that you could die if you take on this challenge. And this leads me to think, who put all this stuff down there? Luke, do you have any thoughts on who put this stuff down there? Because I have a few ideas. Uh, I, I don't. Okay. I, I'll, say, I'll say that one, this is one note that I had. Um, we get the, pers- I think it's the perspective of maybe the Bleeding Phoenix, where the feeling that they get when that chamber gets opened is 
like power long lost for them. Mm-hmm. I don't really have an interpretation of that right now. Mm. But, I, and I don't think that that's the like weapons that we see. Because, no, I don't like, think so either. The dread gods don't care about that stuff. <laughs> no. There's, there's some power that apparently they used to have that they do not have anymore down there. Exactly. And so I think the people who put those things in the labyrinth are trying to train people. I think this is a training exercise. God, you and your freaking training stuff. No, no, no. But listen, this world is called Cradle. The Abadan are looking for people to join them, right? Suriel is talking about how Linden could potentially join their ranks. And Linden is in a world called Cradle. What do you put in a cradle, Luke? A baby. Little tiny babies, okay? But someday those babies need to grow up. And so you need to give them challenges to be able to grow up. But you don't want to constantly be there, like, pushing them along. And so you have to have something that pulls them along. And the thing that pulls them along is to get deeper and deeper into the labyrinth in order to get these cool items, right? But when you do that, there's this big challenge that comes. There's a boss fight, right? When you get these cool objects. And so what it I think that it is, is this, this incentive to level up. It's this incentive so that you can defeat the dread gods and move beyond being a little weak baby. And so you de- because we don't know what happened when they when they went in and took the the lesser objects, right? Maybe we're going level by level and the whole like world is leveling up over time. Like the the peak of how powerful you can be is increasing over time as we go deeper and deeper into the labyrinth. Oh, interesting. So you're you're thinking that like the monarchs on the current world are more powerful than the monarchs from a thousand years ago. Maybe. They might not have even called them monarchs, right? The the most right. powerful person. Because that's another thing we find in this book is there's always another level, isn't there? Mm-hmm. We're finding out about, you know, underlord, overlord, archlord, monarch. Whoa, what's above monarch, right? There's always another level coming up. Um, and so maybe, maybe it was just that a thousand years ago, the highest level was underlord, right? And so underlords... We're no match for, obviously no match for dread gods, but maybe there was a different beast. There was a different kind of boss that they fought. And then once they, once the whole world kind of leveled up beyond that, once the highest peak was no longer Underlord, they could go a little deeper into the labyrinth and take out more of those treasures. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I I have a feeling that, that there's going to be an easy way to to disprove that as someone might quote, but okay, let me, let me say a couple of things. One, we hear from, I think maybe it's Serial, that Cradle produces someone that joins their ranks every so often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have seen people ascend, I'm assuming without, well, yeah, without like defeating the dread gods. Okay, that's fair. Osriel did that. That's fair. That's fair. And and she says a lot of people yes. ascend, right? Yes. So there's 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 plenty of people that have ascended. I'm I'll say I'm going to take you one step further. Ooh. Okay? That and this is something that I had not thought of until you just said that. So 
I have no research on this. This is just a feeling. Tell me I'm wrong when, when you know that I'm wrong. Yeah, you go for it, Luke. Hit me with it. I'm, I'm, I'm curious how long ago the Dread Beasts like started being, or sorry, the Dread Gods started being a thing. Because they obviously, um, like if, if there's, a, if they're, they're called to this by a power long lost is what it, something that, that it says. Mm-hmm. They, I'm, I'm saying they must have been down there at some point maybe, but the, the, the point that I'm trying to get across with this is like you said, someone put, potentially is trying to train people with these dread gods. They're trying to entice them to go deeper into the labyrinth. Yeah. Right. And so it's kind of like a test. Um, so the Abaddon are occasionally accepting people from Cradle, but they're like kind of normal recruits, I'll say. Right. There's one Abaddon member that is not normal, is singular, unique, who who is trying to bring people in that are also very different from the Abaddon. Luke, now you've got an Osriel theory. I've got an Osriel theory. <laughs> Which so yeah, we we learned at the very end of this book, Osriel's looking for recruits. Osriel's looking for recruits. So you're saying Osriel put the dread beasts there? Osriel put the dread gods there. Or the dread gods, yeah. Osriel put the dread gods there as the last test for Ethan and his crew. To become the new, I don't know about the new Osriel, but like something, something new and unique. Osriel's making his own club. It's going to be way cooler than the Abaddon club. All right. This is, again, this is me flying by the seat of my pants on this theory. Um, Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say about it. The rest of the Abaddon knows about the Dread Beasts, I'm pretty sure. Yes. So Osriel would have to be incredibly sneaky. Correct. to do this right they they would i feel like they would notice if suddenly four hyper powerful beings started ravaging cradle for no reason right i feel like they'd be like mm, where, where did that phoenix made of blood come from did you guys see that <laughs> yesterday i don't think it was around so but but we already have precedent of somebody manipulating events to suit them well and that person happens to be very closely related to osriel so luke i'm not throwing it out as a possibility this is an osriel theory this is an osriel heavy heavy pod we you know (laughs) maybe we put away the elder whisper osriel theory for now and we pick up this new one oh who made the labyrinth who made all this cool who put these dread beasts here maybe it's osriel interesting Right. Okay. Let's <laughs> let's okay. Let's. Just, I'm gonna since we're talking about Osriel very briefly. We get we get a picture of Osriel. Yes. Yes, of, we do. Well, we get one at the end, and we've actually already seen one in Black Flame. We see a statue of Osriel, who I'm assuming is Osriel. There's a statue of the first Aurelius patriarch in like outside of the Aurelius headquarters in Serpent's Grave or whatever that city is yeah, called. Yeah, Serpent's Grave. Uh, I, I look back, it, it's not that, it doesn't have very much like information. It's like weathered, right? It's very worn. It's very weathered, very old. Yeah. It's like a very uh, 
very savage guy holding up a knife. Um, so we don't get that much information, but I'm assuming that that's Osriel. Just kind of interesting that we've we've potentially seen a picture or or a, or a sculpture of Osriel before. Mm-hmm. I also I want the link between Osriel and Ethan is very cool, and we're very hype about that link. Especially because it it feels very right. It feels like it fits very well based on what we know about Osriel. Because there was Suriel's talking about. Osriel's past. Ooh, ooh, actually, hold on, Luke. Because it didn't Osriel die and come back to life in the labyrinth? Uh I don't know. I don't know. When when are you where so are when, you pulling that from? Okay, so Suriel Suriel is talking about Osriel's history. And she's listing this this okay. I'm gonna come back to the Osriel dying in the labyrinth thing. The thing that I was talking about before, the thing that I was gonna mention before about the link between Ethan and Osriel. Is Osriel debated a bunch of people? And one, and he debated them so well that three of them killed themselves because he just demolished them. That feels very Ethan to me. Yes, I would agree. It feels so right that they're related because it feels very Ethan of just destroying somebody so badly that they kind of just quit. Uh, but back to the back to the labyrinth thing. When Suriel's talking about this list of thing events in Osriel's life, she mentions that he like came back to life in the labyrinth. She or, she mentions there's a labyrinth where he came back to life. I'm assuming it's the same labyrinth around the Desolate Wild, Sacred Valley, Black Flame area. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only labyrinth we've heard of so far. So there's definitely a connection between Osriel and this labyrinth, right? Yes. I don't know what that is yet, but there's a connection there. Right. This is this is part of the problem with recording a podcast in one take cuz we can't we can't go back and like look at the look at the text, but yeah, okay, there's there's a connection between Osriel and the labyrinth. I'm not actually I definitely don't feel good about me saying Osriel created the dread gods because like for sure not. <laughs> no, Luke. No. For sure, yes. Okay. Yeah. Well. Okay. We'll 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 leave that there. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you deal with that as you will. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna move on to to a, a thing that we kind of talk have talked about. And when so okay so we get the fight between Lyndon and Jai Long early in this book, and before it starts, Jai Long is like, hey. Just so you know, if it were me, we wouldn't be fighting because I consider us even. Bullshit, Jai Long. You are not even. Okay? Like, you are so far in Lyndon's debt right now. 100% agree. 100% agree. <laughs> like, I, we talked about it last episode. So, so, I don't have to go, so I don't have to go too far into it. But your friend basically killed Lyndon. Lyndon retaliates. I think you're even. Okay, Lyndon I think you're even there. Lyndon's actions were entirely in self-defense. Your friend <laughs> sucked ass and got his. <laughs> he got murdered because he deserved it. Right, and then Lyndon completely heals your sister, which has been like your unattainable goal for the last however many years. You're not even. Lyndon did you the biggest solid after that. 
Linden did you the biggest favor. And he knew you were going to try and kill him. And he was like, I should still heal his sister. That'd be the cool thing to do. Dude. Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, and, and another another time. He, uh, I think towards the end of this fight, he calls Linden... He he's he's like really insulting towards Lyndon. He's terrible. He calls him a coward. He's terrible. I, I feel like we're I feel like we're using coward wrong. I agree. I agree hundred percent. Like Lyndon's not a coward. Stop saying that. I'm if, sick of it. If Lyndon was a coward, he would have said no to the duel. He had opportunities to say no. Right? Ethan was like, hey, if you really don't want to do this, just leave. I'll let you go. You can just leave and never come back. Lyndon was like, no, I'm gonna stay. I'm going to do this duel. That's not a coward, right? I think right. Jai Long is just such a pretentious ass. <laughs> He's just the most pretentious, one of the more pretentious people in this world. And it's mm-hmm. so annoying. Mm-hmm. Jai Long. <sighs> especially, yeah, especially to this guy that he knows he's going to demolish, right? Right. He's smack talking Linden. When he knows he's gonna crush him, we get we we another thing that we kind of already talked about is we get another moment where someone who's much more powerful than Lyndon is very wary of him, right? Like Lyndon gives comes to to kind of point Jai Long and his sister in the in the right direction to escape, and Jai Long's like, I'm not gonna trust anything that this guy gives me because he's like dangerous and going to come up with some nonsense another another really cool thing just just to see how dangerous people think linden is even though they're like much more powerful than him right especially when we when he has the interrogation with the underlord who's in charge of the sky sworn and they put him in shackles and bolt him to the floor that's an underlord that he's being interrogated by if i were linden and they shackled me to the floor to meet with an underlord, I'd be like, oh, hold on. Am I this dangerous, you guys? Oh my gosh. You guys. Right. Right. That's incredible. Okay. Okay. I'm going to, I want to stay for just a second on the duel scene. Yes. And I want to talk about how Ethan toys with the Jai Patriarch for a while because he wants him to bring out the archstone and use it. It's mentioned in the book how risky this is. Like Lyndon gets mad at him because <laughs> he loses an arm and I think even even Ethan is kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of to blame here. This this is a good example of Ethan taking huge huge risks. Like we we see other characters like Cassius getting fed up with Ethan because he gambles on things so much. But in our in our experience, it always seems to work out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we're like, yeah, whatever, it's gonna work. Let <laughs> Ethan gamble anything. But this is this is a, a a little picture that we get of when we're not sure if he should be gambling stuff. You know? I I'm kind of on I, I feel like Cassius watching this duel where it's like, dude, Ethan just stop risking everything. This is what I've been saying the whole time. Look, Lyndon's missing an arm now. What the heck, dude? Also, we do get 
when we first meet Ethan, it's he talks about how he lost a bet, which caused some very serious thing to happen wherever he's from. And in this book, he's kind of like, cons- well, I don't know if he's even concerned. He thinks something really bad happened to his home clan, like the main branch of the Aurelius clan. He's pretty sure something terrible happened. And that right, terrible, like he's not sure if they're even still alive. That terrible thing happened when he got ejected. It happened, like, they correspond, like, the last time the portal was open was when Ethan came into this, wherever, this part of the world. And so it sounds like Ethan maybe took a risk that didn't pay off too well in the past. So for sure, Cassius, at first, it seemed like Cassius was being a worry, a worrywart just being a little bit too uptight about things and that Ethan had it all under control. Maybe not. Maybe not 100%. Exactly. I do think, though, I want to come back to the talk about Lyndon being a genius. We talked about this last episode, and there were a lot of good comments about it. I think this is another reason why Ethan likes Lyndon is because they both kind of rebel against the stereotype for what an underlord or what a copper or what a an iron should be like i think they both are this like exception to the rule where before the fight ethan is constantly breaking in to hang out with linden and do his training and these members of the sky sworn that are there to keep linden isolated are talking about how these these cells that are holding linden were designed for overlords like how is ethan even getting in here while not tripping any of the constructs like how is that even possible and so that to me is the same kind of like a genius isn't the right word but it's what we used so the same kind of like exception to the rule that i think linden and ethan both occupy where they they defy these expectations of what an underlord or a gold should be Right. And I think that's like, that's kind of just another link between the two of them. Like, I think as they grow together, maybe Ethan saw that and was like, oh, he's kind of like me. This is a little, this is a little more Papa Ethan coming in. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. Uh, we also loved how they didn't let anyone go to the battleground before the duel. Uh, <coughs> Linden. <coughs> <laughs> so. It was a nice little throwback there. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, An- another thing that we talked about last episode that I'm gonna get that I'm gonna again get riled up about. How <laughs> how could this duel matter enough to like to put to put restrictions on the Aurelius clan and even like depose Ethan? How? To- I I don't get it especially considering the outcome what was the outcome the, of the duel right the outcome of the duel is like obviously linden loses but not by that much Aud- <laughs> he loses and then ethan kills the jai patriarch honestly this that's is a what, win that's what i consider the out like the outcome of the duel is ethan kills the jai patriarch that matters, right? How does the other thing matter at all? <laughs> How does the other thing matter? Right. Like, find find me 
the decision that is affected by the or the or the like the citizen somewhere obviously this isn't a democracy but like find me the voter who's like weighing a couple of things and it's like mm, i mean the the aurelius underlord did absolutely demolish and kill the jai underlord but on the other hand one of the like scrub Aurelius clan members lost in a duel to a guy that was much more powerful than him. Who who is weighing those equally? This this has the feel to me of like it's like a little chess match, right? Ethan over here sets a little trap where he's got he puts a pawn somewhere. The Jai take that pawn with their queen, and then Ethan takes the queen. That's that's the feel to me where he's like sacrificing a pawn to take a queen, and like. Someone's back there like, mm, waste of a pawn. What are you doing? <laughs> Luke, it's about honor. So, reputation. A true master would have never even sacrificed the pawn to begin with. Mm. A true master would mm-hmm. win without any pieces going to the opponent. That's how Bobby Fischer did it. Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, Yeah, I... <laughs> I agree. It's absurd. It's pretty ridiculous. Uh, Another minor detail about the duel that relates to something we talked about in our very first episode on this series. Lyndon is trying to argue that he should get these constructs that are for true golds because his contract partner is a true gold. And in fact, his contract partner should actually be in the duel with him. Because you're supposed to duel together with your contract partner. And the Skysworn say, well, if your contract partner, um, Orthos, if Orthos had been challenged to a duel, you could duel with him because you're kind of like his partner, right? Like, he can tell you what to do. He's like your boss. But you got challenged to a duel that's not Orthos's duel, right? You're Orthos's pet. He's not your pet. So you can't have him join you in this duel. And it was very it's very related to what we talked about in our first episode where what if your pet surpasses mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Orthos. Yeah, a little little callback little there. Little callback. I and and okay, this one's something that I had written down, but to to your your little your point there, the when he wants to bring in some true gold weapons and they're like, no, you're not a true gold. Okay. Jay Long is over here bringing in the ancestor spear. I know. What do we do? I know. <laughs> yeah. This is exactly okay. my problem. Also, Jay Long is a true gold. Why isn't that the level of things you can bring in? Right? Like, I know that, that seems fair to me. What? Like we're handicapping the low gold. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, so, so, so Lyndon gets his arm cut off and they're trying to figure out what to put on there, right? What to replace it with. I love, can I just say this? I love the choices that Will gives us in all of these books. You know, Lyndon's got to choose a a cool treasure from the treasure room. Lyndon's got to choose a cool path from all these cool paths. Lyndon's got to choose a dope arm from all these arm. I'm loving all the cool choices. It's very good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But what I was going to say 
is why aren't we all cutting off our arms in this world? I'm so with you on this. This seems like a massive upgrade. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll, let me let me let me stipulate for a second though, because I my assumption is that once you get at a certain level of advancement, your your own arm is going to be better, right? Can my, your own my, like, arm allow you to spider web through the city or like swing? Can your own arm? allow you to swing through the city like Spider-Man, saving people from Doc Ock and Green Goblin? I don't think so. (laughs) Okay, okay. But I'll I'll say this, like, let's take take the Sword Sage as an example. Yeah. His iron body allows him, like, incredible strength the higher up he gets. I'm going to say, I'm going to assume that had he gotten an arm cut off and used a like remnant arm, that arm might not have the strength mm. that his original iron body arm would have had. So I think at a at a high enough advancement level, you want your own body. Yeah. Yeah. But like if you're a low gold and you're like, I'm not gonna make it much higher. If you're Gokrin. Yeah. If you're Gokrin, you're a true gold, you're not gonna make it much higher than that. Get me an arm that shoots laser beams. Please. I will say this, Linden has to feed it Madra to keep it from dissolving. So it's definitely a drain on your Madra to have a Yeah, but I don't know if it always is. I th- I, I, I it might be. It I is. took it to mean that it takes a while to get used to it, but but maybe it's always a drain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But if I if I'm at the gold stage and I know I'm not making it to Underlord, I'm turning into like a cyborg kind of thing. You're absolutely turning into a cyborg. If if you know you're not making it to Underlord, like Gokrin knows, you're turning into a cyborg. And, I mean, you might as well split your core and learn another path, right? Oh, for sure. Because, sure, later on, you don't have time. If you're, if you're going to get that good at your one path, you don't have time. But if you've been a true gold for like 30 years, you're doing the same exercises over and over again every day anyway. Split your core. Do true golden too. Yeah, totally. Think outside the box a little bit, guys. Come on, guys. Uh, speaking, let's let's talk about the Sky Sworn for a minute. By are we gonna go by Row or by Rue for the one that's been hanging out with? Uh, I think I've been going Rue. Okay, let's go by Rue. Okay, by Rue is one of the Sky Sworn that's a part of this team with. He ends up being a part of the team with Linden and Yaren and Akira Mercy. But before then, he is like one of the guards for Linden. So he's got green armor, yellow eyes, and he wears a straw hat. This guy's giving off some John Deere vibes, right? Ooh. To yes. me, this guy's giving off some major John Deere vibes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like if he was a Transformer... He's going into a John Deere tractor. It's is that what tractor. you're trying to tell me? It's absolutely okay. a tractor. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. I don't have anything else about that. I was just like, this guy's a tractor. Wait, okay, okay, yeah. With, with this, let's. I'll, I'll say in an early episode, we talked about how people should be scripting their clothing. The Sky Sworn armor is scripted. Yeah. So, so we'll, we a little bit of that. Still don't know why more people don't do it, but... 
Right. There it is. Um, I, I, I thought that one moment was interesting when they when they rank or find Linden's rank. He's ranked 24th in combat power. But they rank, there's like <laughs> there's so other many people. There's so many low golds. It's insane. Like thousands and thousands, probably. I don't, I probably like billions, right? Like, so, so we find out there's 500 billion people on this right. world. I, I think, I think 600 billion. E- either way, the Black Flame Empire, let's, let's put them at oh, a couple billion, right? Yeah. Maybe only, maybe only like a fraction of those people are ranked, but they're ranked on combat scale. Aesthetics, which I think might be rude, and influence. There's, I think you were right in your in the last episode, or maybe the one before that, that there's got to be a like entire family or path that is responsible for ranking people, because that's too much work. <laughs> Unless there's an algorithm. <clears throat> yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say there's a construct somewhere that's putting all these stuff together, and and writing a review of somebody online. Mm-hmm. It's just a bot somewhere that's doing this because there's no freaking way there's enough people to do this. And they do it like instantaneously. Nobody goes and interviews Linden to get his rank. They just have it. I'm going to say it's a surveillance state. There's a bunch of bots everywhere keeping track of everything. And that's that's how people get ranked. It's a little it's a little, you know, worrisome. Yeah. What kind of information are you giving up, guys? Okay, I've got I've got one more thing and then I've got some highlights. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. My my one thing that I do actually want to talk about is Linden Linden just like dominating this scrub. This is one of my highlights. Okay. This this the scene is when the I forget the the guy's name, one of the logo one of the logolds at the tryouts confronts Linden and like picks a fight with him and there's a scene where Lyndon goes to punch him and he he's already expecting for it to be blocked and he has like his next move planned out, but he just crunches this guy. Very satisfying. But th- what's interesting here is that we've, we've talked about Lyndon being a quote unquote genius, but we almost never see Lyndon fighting someone at his advancement level. But this, this shows us that he kind of is because okay let's the only couple times that i can think of linden fighting someone is an advancement level are this time when he just crushes this guy and in the very first book when he is unsold in the tournament and just like dominates the little kids these are literally the only two times linden has fought somebody his own advancement level these 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 are it that's it every other time linden's fought the person has been at least one level above him. Right. And, and I'll, I'll say these, the, when he usually fights people, his own advancement level, they don't seem to be like the top of that group. Right. Mm-hmm. Like this low gold that he fights is probably not top 10 in the rankings, but still like he gets crushed. <laughs> Lyndon's killing it. Top. I'd say top 24. Maybe. <laughs> specifically in combat power yeah aesthetics ooh, not nearly as high very low in aesthetics ooh. but combat power what's ethan's aesthetic score Ooh, 
I feel I feel like I remember him being pretty handsome, right? I uh, I'm gonna say it's not oh, necessarily okay. the, the, handsomeness, right? That's true. But that's it's what I was gonna style. Say. It's kind of well, no, style is a completely different category, isn't it? Yeah, because aesthetics can mean mm-hmm. like whether you're good looking, whether you're scary looking, even. Oh, that's actually very true. Okay, then let's say style. What's Ethan's style score? Mm. I'm guessing that in the Black Flame Empire, Ethan's style score is low. Oh. And that the reasoning is not because I think he has bad style. It's because I think he has very different style from what's in style in the Black Flame Empire. I see. Right? Uh-huh. They haven't caught up to him yet. Right. He's like so ahead of the curve. They're like, how do we even deal with that? Or, or I mean, I mean, it's mainly just like he's super unique. Right, right, right. But oh, interesting. So you're saying he doesn't fit really on the scale, so he's at the bottom. Yes, okay. and I'm and I'm saying this this scale is very biased. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably true. Okay, let's do a couple of highlights before we get to the end. Um, one quick thing: Fisher Fisher Gesha chastising Ethan in support of Lyndon. Great scene. Um, also, yeah. good, good little, good little heartwarming scene when Lyndon decides to join the Sky Sworn with Yaren after like consulting with Orthos. Another nice little scene. Definitely a highlight. Um, I, we we kind of talked about this at the beginning. Uh, the the quest, uh, the patriarch of the Jai Clan's quest. All those little those little sequences we got. All of those, I'd say, were highlights for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one one little exciting thing that Ethan brings up and brags about is that the Akura monarch expects Ethan's squad to to succeed. I guess. Well, to have the chance to save the like save the world, it seems like. Right. Which which to my in my reading, kind of makes it seem like they're going above monarch level. Is that fair? They've got to be. Otherwise, the monarch could do it, right? Right. Pretty cool, I'd say. Okay. Another highlight. uh, We find out that when Jai Chen uses her Madra, it makes cute little dragons that run around and do what she wants. That's very fun. Which, and that might like kind of upset our little Madra aura theory or like theory of madra and aura kind of thing but i am we'll see we'll see more about that i'm assuming um another quick little thing that we we already discussed 600 billion people on cradle that's a lot of people incredible that's a lot of people yeah that place has got to be really huge sh- right it, yeah it shows the odds of like making it to a certain level right because we hear for every million or like hundred thousand low golds to make it, or there's like I don't know ten people to make it to high gold. For every thousand high golds, there's one true gold, and then like a million true golds to one underlord, and it keeps going up like that. That now it makes sense. Before I was like that doesn't quite seem right, but now I get it. Considering there's like single digit levels of monarchs and six hundred billion people. Which is incredible. It also means, Lou, if if somebody's going beyond monarch level, 
That's a powerful person. That's a pretty special person we're talking about, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. That's exciting. Maybe we're following one of them. Or three or, of them. Or a group of people. Or a group of people. Yeah, or a group. Oh. Um, okay, last thing that I have is... I think it's something that Lyndon says when he gets... When they the, their whole squad kind of at the end gets dropped into this terrible situation with a bunch of the like blood spawn and he's like i keep getting put in these situations yaren would say i need to practice more i think i just need to prepare more but put me on yaren's side here yeah yeah definitely with yaren on that one like you uh, Lyndon, you can't i think he even he kind of mentions it you you can't prepare for everything no come on Lyndon. uh i will say this though about yaren she does the thing when Lyndon loses his arm. You know, the Yaren thing where she's like, oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. happened to me all the time. I just grew mine back. It's like, Yaren, give Lyndon something. Okay. Right. The The one thing that was very satisfying to me is when they're talking to Cassius and they're like, what can we do to get advancement materials and that kind of stuff? And Cassius is explaining to them, like, how much money they have gotten already and yaren's like dude i already know this like i had to pay for all of my advancement levels and cassius like kind of checks her a little bit he's like yeah you you your master's time i think he says like one minute of your master's time was worth a day of ethan's very satisfying to see her get checked right there yeah and she didn't have a response she was just kind of like oh yeah that's probably true yeah, it's definitely true, Yaren. Check yourself. Uh, another highlight, at the very end, Ethan gets a letter from the family saying he's not the patriarch anymore. Did you catch he never opened it? Oh. Ethan Ethan gets the letter, sees that it's from the Aurelius clan, reads the inside of the letter, and then he says the seal was still intact and he let the letter flutter away into the wind. So he just, like, read it on the inside without opening it aurelius bloodline powers are very cool Mm -hmm. definitely a highlight okay there's a couple more things i want to talk about luke the first one didn't actually come up in this book it came up in black flame but it was related to something we talked about in episode one linden has this book about soul smithing in black flame And he comments that this book is handwritten, which is different from the books of the Sacred Valley, which are printed using constructs. And their excuse for why they didn't want Lyndon to learn a path was because he would be taking resources away from another student to have a path manual. You guys are printing these off. You guys are a freaking path manual kinkos. And you're like, oh, Lyndon, we can't spare the toner for a path manual for you. Bullshit. I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick uh-huh. of it. I was, when I read that, that they printed off path manuals in the Sacred Valley, I was pissed. I was freaking heated. I think, I think that's fair. So I just wanted to come back to that. Luke and I... If you want to hear our rant about that, listen to episode one of the series. But the fact that they print books 
is so insulting to Lyndon. Come on, guys. Uh, man. Uh, the, the other thing I want to talk about was related to a uh, quote-unquote theory that I came up with in the end of episode two about how the hunger... Oh, I can call them hunger bindings. Yeah. How the hunger... How the hunger bindings were created. And so we learn explicitly in this book that the hunger bindings were created, or at least they tried to recreate them by performing like breeding experiments between sacred beasts to generate a binding. So this was the theory that I came up with in episode two. And uh, we've said this before, Luke and I have read the books already. However, when I came up with that theory, I wasn't like intentionally trying to pretend like I didn't know that it was explicitly stated in the book. Um, I definitely just forgot. So, so I definitely just forgot. I don't have a great memory. Um, <laughs> and but I'm not. I'm not going to be try- like I'm not coming up with theories. Obviously, as you guys have seen, my theories uh, have a few potentially have some problems with them. Uh, potentially, potentially, but. I'm not I'm not coming up with theories that I know future evidence supports. Oftentimes I've just forgotten stuff in the later books. And so so when I came up with that theory about the breeding of the beast to make the hunger bindings, I I didn't remember that they had explicitly say, said it in the book. And in fact, I didn't even think I paid that close attention the first time I read it. So I didn't have a good memory of how that how that whole thing came to be. So Okay. No. So we're not accusing you of plagiarism. Yeah. Please don't. Please don't accuse me of being dishonest to the listeners. We're going on this journey together, guys. Kind of. There you go. Yeah. Kind of. Okay, Luke. We are. We're officially over halfway on our path to the end of the Cradle as it's been published so far. So, listener, they say a sacred artist walks a path alone but as as we see at the end of this book ethan's trying to change that and you know what come with us keep keep with us on this path we'll uh together explore the the heights of how far this path can take us and along the way uncover many hot takes and make a whole clan of dumb nerds (laughs) 